0: the unpleasant and sometimes embarrassing symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome, otherwise known as IBS, including constipation and/or diarrhea, pain cramping and bloating at some time. IBS is hard to diagnose in children so joining us on the line from New Zealand is Professor Andrew Day, a pediatric gastroenteral enterolo- I knew I would have trouble saying that Andrew gastroenterologist to explain more Hi Andrew, how are you?
1: Good, thanks. Thank you for the invitation. A pleasure. What is irritable bowel syndrome? So we can think of irritable bowel syndrome being a condition, as you say, it's very common. um, And I'd like to explain it to kids and families in terms of feeling things going around every corner. So the bowel's more sensitive, it's more um, irritable, And it's the function of how things work. There's no obvious changes under the microscope. There's no obvious changes on blood tests and so on. But, yeah, the bowel's just more sensitive.
0: And is it different between
1: children and adults? It tends to be something that becomes more common as one gets older. It's pretty uncommon in the first decade, where I'm pretty hesitant to diagnose in the first decade, so less than 10, much more likely to diagnose it in kids older than 10, but and then it becomes more common into adulthood as well.
0: And is it something that's um, hereditary? Like, can we
1: know? It it often does run in families, yes. And typically, when it begins, it's not something that's necessarily there every day from somebody's, throughout someone's life, but it is something that can come and go, and it can be something that gets worse with stress, worse when you're run down, worse when you're not eating well, or an infection that stirs things up. So something that can come and go and right through life as well.
0: And do we know um, why people get it?
1: Not completely, no. We know there's lots of important things in terms of there are changes with the bacteria. There are some changes in terms of the, um, the way the nerves interact with the gut, Um, and remembering that the abdomen, if you like, is our second brain and those nerves are really, really important in terms of the interactions and how they interact with the muscle in the gut and with the rest of the body as well.
0: And when you you were mentioning before that um, you don't necessarily notice anything abnormal in blood tests or um, other, I suppose, more traditional ways of um, diagnosing an illness, how do you
1: diagnose IBS? Well, it tends to be um, making sure that there's not infections or more severe things like celiac disease or Crohn's disease, other things that can affect the gut and the upper or lower parts of the gut. And it's particularly the pattern of things in terms of a pattern of symptoms, the way they come and go, um, and not interfering with how kids grow in terms of getting taller or gaining weight or going to puberty and those sort of things. Yep. That's excluding important things, but looking at the pattern otherwise.
0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Professor Andrew Day. He's a paediatric gastroenterologist. And we're talking about irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS, and how it can be a little bit difficult to diagnose or to understand that that's what's going on. Um, but Andrew Day did make it clear that probably not something you diagnose in a child under 10, or common, not, not so common in children under 10, Um, I know as a parent of a fussy eater that anything to do with her stomach, I'm I'm quite sensitive about because I don't feel like she eats properly. Um, Does nutrition, um, how does nutrition play in
1: managing the disease in children? Well, we know that there's a number of things that are really important in terms of optimising how the gut works. Having a good, well-balanced diet, having good amounts of water, Um, and you and I being careful in terms of caffeine, um, good amounts of exercise, managing stress, sleeping well, all of those things are really important in terms of how the gut works. In terms of some particular dietary things, we know that good amounts of fibre from fruits and veggies and cereals are really important in terms of um, stimulating the growth of particular bacteria and one of the compounds that those bacteria make from fibre is something called short-chain fatty acids, a great big long-term. Um, but those those particular compounds have are the food for the lining cells of the large bowel. So without that fibre, without generating that sort of supply of those short-chain fatty acids, and one of them's called butyrate, uh, without that, the, the gut doesn't work very well. So having those preventative things in place is really important.
0: This might be a, a stupid question here, Andrew, but is it possible that a child can develop IBS through excessive fussy eating? Um,
1: probably not, no. Um, but, um, I mean, as you say, fussy eating is something that's very common um, and sometimes it can be tied in with other of other conditions. Um But most of the time it's something that's time-related and it gets better with time. Having family meals, having lots of peer interactions, seeing other kids eat, all of those things are really important in terms of normalising eating patterns over time. But my son had um, pate and crackers and that was his thing that he ate (laughs) multiple times a day for quite a long period of time and other kids exist on Vegemite sandwiches and whatever.
0: At least your son got iron. That's a good yes, exactly. sort of one. Exactly. <laughs> and he has taste, who doesn't like good pate, <laughs> um, but can IBS be a symptom of a bigger health concern?
1: Um, well IBS symptoms can uh, uh, can be a, can go along with things like celiac disease, so that's why I mentioned before that it's really important to exclude other things that could be c- contributing to those same symptoms. Anything in adults. As one gets older, um, one worries about bowel cancer. Um, Things like irritable bowel syndrome, again, wouldn't be typical symptoms for something like that, but they can be very common symptoms that would look like celiac disease and sometimes look like Crohn's disease. So there's things that we'd look for on the history and the examination, but basic blood tests and investigations can usually help in terms of teasing those things out.
0: We were just talking before about nutrition and you were explaining how um, good nutrition can help to manage the disease in children. Are there other treatments for IBS?
1: So leading on from nutrition, one of the things that we're thinking about more and more is the role of um, sugars that are fermentable. So there's a number of sugars that can, if you don't absorb them fully in the small bowel, and most of us have a threshold for some of these sugars, these sugars can get down to where the bugs live. And those bugs gobble them up and make gas, leading to bloat and pain and other symptoms. And taking those sugars out, and there's a fancy term called FODMAPS that many people are aware of, that is a recognition that there's a number of those different fermentable sugars. So changing those part, that part of the diet can make a difference, not to everybody, but to some people. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in children and more and more thinking that even in young children sometimes, thinking about the role of those different sugars in the diet. So that, so yes, there's a number of dietary things that can be helpful for people with um, IBS.
0: Are there any medications that help treat it?
1: So um, I mentioned the short-chain fatty acids earlier um, and butyrate being one of those. And uh, in situations particularly in adults with IBS, one can give additional butyrate as a treatment, um, and that's shown to be very effective in terms of helping with symptoms, particularly in terms of bloat, um, variable stools, <clears throat> so making things firmer, more regular, um, and helping with the bloat and the cramps. Um, we get butyrate from the fibre, as I mentioned. You can also get it from butter and, and G, Um but there's a new formulation that's now able to get to the large bowel and get past the acid in the stomach and so on and so forth. Um, and, yes, that treatment's shown to be very effective.
0: What, about, what can parents and carers do if they've listened to this interview and they suspect that something like this might be going on with their child? It may not be IBS, but um, they're a bit worried that they're maybe occasionally constipated, Um, they have sore tummies, that sort of thing. Um, What is their first port of call? Well I think,
1: um, well first of all just briefly in terms of constipation, so that can certainly be tied in with IBS, but constipation is another very common thing in children um, and probably one in every six children or infants have some problems with constipation and that can usually be related to withholding stools, so holding on to stool for various reasons. Identifying those things early and talking to their GP can help usually in terms of those things. If they've got concerns in terms of does my child have IBS or is there other things happening with my child then certainly talking to the GP initially can be very helpful. Paediatric dietician and paediatric gastroenterologist and there's a number of um, really good paediatric gastroenterologists around would be the people to talk to next.
0: Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Good as gold. My pleasure. All the best.
0: Thank you. That was Professor Andrew Day. He's a paediatric gastroenterologist at Sydney Children's Hospital. He is based in New Zealand. If you would like to find out more about IBS management and symptoms, we'll link to the things that Andrew was speaking about on our website. Just head to kindling.com.au and search for IBS. You've been listening to Kindling Conversation. If you enjoyed it, there's plenty more where that came from. Find other stories and interviews at our website. Just head
1: to kindling.com.au